0: Hello hello everyone. This is your host Akil Jabbar and welcome back to another episode of School of Startups where we talk to successful tech entrepreneurs on how to start and scale their businesses. In today's episode, we'll be talking about how a CEO has fully bootstrapped and is currently managing a 3000 plus person team marketplace while hitting 50% year over year growth. Today we have our guest Steve Pakras, joining us. Steve brings more than 20 years of startup Fortune 500 and nonprofit experience to his role at Verblio. As the CEO, he applies leading gig economy and SaaS principles to provide a high-quality, fast, and flexible content creation platform. Steve was part of the early management team at the marketplace service pioneer, LiveOps, where he helped grow the company into the largest virtual contact center in the world. At LiveOps, Steve served as the VP of Business Development and Strategy and also spearhead, spearheaded the creation of the award-winning LiveOps Foundation. Steve holds an MBA from Kellogg School of Business School of Business, and his MA in History from Wesleyan University. Outside of the office, Steve is a Denver native and enjoys Ultimate Frisbee, hosting jazz concert history, practicing Portuguese, and spending time with his two little boys. Uh, welcome, Steve. Uh, super excited to have you with us today. Thanks, Akhil. It's great to be here. Awesome. So um, for those who who don't know the background of Verbio, what was the, uh, can you share, what was the idea of launching Verbio as a SaaS content marketplace back in 2010? Sure. In 2010, uh, Verbio was created under a different name. We've actually had three names
1: so far um, by uh, a combination of a journalist who is also an entrepreneur and the the classic tech founder as well. Uh, And so what they were trying to do is to, to take advantage of some of the, the trends in the marketplace also started by LiveOps, one of the companies that I was formerly with, and that's how I met these guys, um, which was how do you provide uh, a scalable services solution that provides higher quality to provide better results for for your companies? And so LiveOps did that by providing better sales calls. You got more results or you got more Uh, revenue with every call that was coming in. And they were looking for how to do that on the content side. I think one of the things that really makes the company stand out is that having Scott Yates as a journalist who is our co-founder, is he was really looking from this, not just as the business opportunity, but also from the supply of labor. So his friends were journalists, his background, his colleagues, and they were looking for what's going to be our next line uh, of work in the future of work as so many of these businesses get disintegrated by the internet. Uh, And I think that really the future of work and the future of marketing are what are the, is the nexus where Verblio lives. And so we started in 2010, uh, and we have, uh, grown significantly since then and, uh, and morphed along the way as the challenges present themselves.
0: <laughs> nice. Nice. And you guys have been completely bootstrapped from the beginning. Um, you know, very, very competitive marketplace and you guys are still growing 50% year over year growth. Can you share how, how that happened? Yeah. Uh, not
1: easily. Um, so mm-hmm. Bootstrapping is a really different universe for any of those who haven't tried it or who are deeply steeped in it right now. Uh, This is the first company in startup land, which I've been in for over 15 years, that has not had investor funds behind it. Uh, And so it requires a really different mentality for how to go to work. I think most of it is really sound and positive for your business, which is Most investor guidance out there is to wait as long as possible before you get investors because you get to keep as much of it for your company and you get as long as control. And then you make the big investment uh, decision when you think it's going to amplify the value of your company as quickly as possible. And you have the deepest assurance it's going to happen, which I think is really a critical piece of it. So I think the... um, the biggest difference to me of learning what's a bootstrapped company is that in uh, in bootstrap's world, you have to make more incremental bets. You can't take as big risks because your risks have to work. Like I can't go out and start three new product lines and say one of these works, then it's gold. We're going to be a 10X company. They all have to work at some level um, or at least two of them have to work, um, which I think is really good discipline while keeping an eye on the horizon of what could be your blue ocean strategy that you build towards. That is really the balance. The other crux is that you are making your investments months or maybe years after your company needed to invest them. And so there's a lot more danger of your marketing and sales getting way too in front of your product and your operations before you get there. Um, the danger on the VC and the private equity funded side is you are making your investments maybe too early before you know enough about them and you have a much higher potential of those uh, of those being burned. Um, both of them have their advantages, but especially right now in a pandemic crisis economy, it's a really good time to control all of your own fate. Um, yeah. Growing 50% year over year has been a challenge. Last year was our, our biggest growth year in a while. Um, I came in in 2016 as the second CEO of the company and put a lot of the strategies in place about how we were going to transform uh, our brand proposition and value to our clients uh, and what we were going to do for them. And we'll talk more about that, I know, in a few Mm -hmm. questions. Um, But a lot of that just started to kick in. I think it's, uh, you know, you strategy is a funny thing. You put your strategy on paper and then, you know, you think these are great ideas, but you have, you, you know, unless it's proven out, this is just a guess by you. You have to have utter confidence and you're selling it to your board and you're selling it to your team. But deep down, you know that this is a pretty, you know, a a pretty big uh, chance of variability here. And then when
0: it starts working, you look at yourself and you're like, wow, man, we're really onto something there. I'm glad I got it that's right. Have you guys actually considered uh, raising any capital, or like are you going fifty percent? Do you think you know raising you know x amount or x million dollars can help you get to you know two hundred, three hundred percent, or are you just not interested in in that model? I am deeply conflicted at this point. I'm 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 hitting that point of inflection where
1: we have to make that big decision, and um, I think there's a couple of things in addition to accelerating so. So you take on investment when you're confident in your product market fit, and you know exactly where you're going to build on the product and operation side. And also your predictable revenue model clearly says you put in a dollar and you get five back. And we're, we're pretty close to all those things. But the second piece is the state of the market, which is uh, in a down economy, I think more and more companies are going to be looking at uh, roll-up strategies about how many other companies might not be doing as well, where you could acquire a lot more revenue, uh, add your technology on it, and add more value to it in a really powerful way. So both of those things are on my mind right now. Cool.
0: And then from uh, we talked a little bit about strategy. So from a product-focused strategy um, I see you have kind of multiple kind of products. You guys, I don't know if you guys are testing them or they're all working really well. Um, what was the idea or decision behind adding, you know, multiple forms of content services, right? Such as video, you have content strategy, you have optimizing for SEO uh, versus staying, you know, very narrowly focused on your cro- core product with your, your writers, which is, you know, your your core expertise, right? Um, I think, so
1: it, uh, two reasons. One is, uh, one is strategy where the market was going, the second was what our clients were asking us for. Mm. So there's a there's a joy of having very vocal clients who give you very direct feedback on what you can do to help them. There's also a risk where if they tell you the wrong thing, you've spent a lot of time building it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got the SaaS marketplace, which you know a tremendous about, a tremendous amount about, which is that uh, one of your recent guests, I think it might have been Neil Patel, was talking about how NPS scores in SaaS keep going down year over year. Um, most companies start as a product or a feature, and now companies are looking more at solutions. So mm-hmm. part of our breadth, part of our growth, has been how do we change from a tool, which was we are this is a place to go to get quality content done at scale and flexibly, yeah. which is a very hard thing to do. Uh, anything that re- brings together SaaS and people together is a lot harder than just the SaaS itself. And there's a reason that so much of Silicon Valley just frowns upon working with people whenever humanly possible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Cause it's hard. Yeah. Um, so part of it is we needed to move a solution. My, the metaphor that I use the, the most for this is the, the concept of most of the industry was founded on the concept of uh, your goal as a company is to make dinner and you want to have a prepared dinner. And so most of the marketplace was like Costco, You basically have a membership and you can show up and you have to pick every single ingredient and start from scratch, but you have access to the food. And I wanted our company to be a lot more like Blue Apron, where we're delivering it directly to your door. Everything's prepared to put in. It still takes work because content doesn't get created by itself. You're not going to get great content for your company unless you add your voice to it. It's a co-creation process. But I wanted to make it as easy as possible, both on the quality side, but also Mm -hmm. on the experience side, which really relates to... The best of marketplace being the quality and the experience being a very SaaS driven proposition. Mm-hmm. Um, so part of it was the solution driven approach. So we really wanted you to choose your content. Is this going to be a blog? Is this going to be white paper? We found so many of our clients using our content for ideas that we'd never even thought of before, and we wanted to capture those and bring those pra- best practices to all of the rest of our clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second part of our services is more driven on professional services. So this, com- this company was really founded on the marketplace and the SaaS combination. And now we really have three legs of the stool, which is professional services. And I think this is more and more important as the future of work evolves into having an ecosystem of partners. So how do we plug and play into your company? Uh, we started off as a self-service marketplace. You could use this as that, but you need to have someone on your team running it. And then more of our companies were asking uh, our clients were asking us what more can you do? Uh, can mm-hmm. you do SEO optimization? Can you produce videos out of this? Can you repurpose it? Can you post it on our site? Um, up to our final place, which was like, give me the whole content strategy yourself. I just want an account manager to run it for you. Hmm. Um, the interesting thing about that is that two thirds of our clients are digital marketing agencies, and we always thought that the self service marketplace was for them they're the ones coming to us asking to do more and more of their work so that they can be freed up to do more higher value work on their side. So uh, awesome. professional services is now 20% of our revenue from zero three years ago.
0: Wow. So I guess that's the, the part where they like to outsource, right? They're not managing people. You guys have to do all the the, the hard work of like managing all the writers and the people to, to get the work done. Um, I think so. I, th- I think there's a lot to that too. With every new yeah. SaaS product, you have to learn how that
1: product works. And with the mm-hmm. same with the marketplace SaaS product, which is you have to learn how to integrate it into your system. Someone here has to t- on your team has to learn every single one of these. So can you just skip that step and just give me the solution I'm looking for?
0: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, we actually had Gary Swart, uh, the, f- the former uh, CEO of Upwork. So I think he coined the term uh, future of work. So it's cool that you mentioned that. I don't know if you point it. I I have gotten the pleasure of talking
1: to Gary multiple times and I really like him and I find him an inspiration, but uh, I follow a lot of his
0: work. Yeah, he's a a great guy. Um, And so, you know, speaking of that, you know, you guys are managing over 3,000 writers now across the U.S. Um, How are you keeping track of their expertise while still trying to match them with, you know, the right client and industry? Because this is a problem we hear a lot from, you know, some uh, industries we work with and and agencies. They say... um, you know, how how are you going to know about how to write about, you know, the specific topic? Um, you know, then you have 3000 writers to pick from that can work with that. Dude, that is uh, that's the secret sauce. So the, (laughs) the,
1: the, the the quip is, uh, we don't do that. Uh, so we have, we've, we've, We've rethought the model and we kind of put it on our head, so um, on its head. And we think that by creating the right incentive structure in your SaaS model, that you can you can create a solution so that the writers do a better job of matching themselves than you can. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of what we're trying to do at Verblio is rethink the model from two thousand ten. So a lot of companies were created at that time that we're really used kind of kind of like here's the job, or who's who's available for it and matching kind of direct in a very command and control model. Um, I don't think that's ever going to work as we try to scale. I think that works up to a certain point and then you make it to a few million dollars and your quality will stop uh, evolving and I think that your scale will also stop evolving because of that. The way that we think of it in our model is that we, we have the writers... So first... Uh, we segment all our writers by by uh, by industry. So we have them by mm-hmm. thirty nine industries based on what uh, they've been proven to our clients to have written for by by industry. Uh, and that's really what we consider at a journalist level. So uh, we are founded by a journalist, and we deeply believe if a journalist can write about it, then our writers should be able to write about it for you. Mm-hmm. And if they want to go deeper into subject matter expertise, nobody's going to know their, their, their clients and their subject like the client themselves. So we built a platform to download as much of that with as little as friction as possible to our writers so they can write about you. And then the second piece is really about how we inverted the model, which is uh, our writers choose you and they only get, they only get compensated if you accept their piece. So they're writing every piece for you as like a, Uh, on-spec is is an audition to be your full-time or a a writer on your team. And we want every client to have a group of writers that all get you, the smallest team possible to control the quality and as broad as possible to improve the reliability and not run into the classic freelancer challenge of, uh, now that I finally have something to write, they disappeared on me. Um, Exactly. And so when the writer chooses you, they choose based on their area of expertise. They think they can write for you. We have our clients fill out a profile. You tell us what you like. The most important thing that you can give us is an example of the work of a blog, of a white paper that you like and you want us to sound like. And once our writers see that, they can pretty much have a great idea if they're going to be able to write for you or not. And then the second, so, and then they have the financial incentive, which they only get paid if they chose right and they show you their work. So you're choosing them based on their work and not their profile. So this has benefits on the quality of the work and also on diversity, equity, inclusiveness of you're not, there's no biases. You're only seeing the the product itself. And then the second piece that I think is even more important than the financial incentive is the passion. Mm -hmm. So many writers at a large company think of it like you're going to write about HR, SaaS, every day of your life. You're going to write 50 blogs about this Mm -hmm. per month. What if you had the opportunity to write about a bunch of stuff that you were just interested in? And Mm -hmm. I think that passion flows through. Um, So we have this industry expertise where we segment by 39 different Mm -hmm. verticals but our 40th vertical is other. And that's 55% of what clients choose. So writing for the long knit for the, so we write well for segments and we also write well for the, the long tail and our writers love to have that diversity. Um, and we're always surprised by which writers can write for different segments. It's not always the ones who have, you know, 100% finance background. It could be one who's just written 5% and, uh, I'm not a writer. My mother's a writer. My brother is, my wife is, and uh, I have a deep respect for the profession, um, particularly because of how much worse it, how badly I am at their profession. <laughs> yeah. But how quickly they can learn something new and structure ideas around it. I think just inspires me every day. It's a
0: it's great, yeah. I, I like the idea of, uh, you know, you have to have that interest and passion behind it. Otherwise, I mean, there's only so much you can write before you kind of, you know, lose the steam. I know when, uh, I was running a company called $99 social. So we essentially managed writers, right? They're writing, but for social media content. And for example, we had one agency on board, I think 50 clients and they were all plumbers. So you can <laughs> imagine the challenge of trying to write content every single day for 50 different plumbers and coming up with unique stuff. So I, I, I feel that pain there. <laughs> exactly. So we have like, <laughs> so when you think about our marketplace and
1: this is that's perfectly app like we have a plumbing business within our writing we have a we have a plumbing writing business within our marketplace we have a legal writing business within our marketplace where we have 300 legal writers that are all reviewed by lawyers and we can create that for any customized program we could have a program that's monitored or that's edited by nurses or by engineers Um, And all of that is available if you have the right size marketplace and you manage it with the idea of the full potential of what you can do when you bring together
0: marketplace, SaaS, and professional services. Mm. Are they uh, speaking with the writers directly or do you have an account manager in between typically? So most of the communication
1: between the writers and our clients is streamlined uh, into the platform. So all of the feedback comes back and forth. All of the feedback that our clients give to one writer goes to all of the writers with the idea of you're making our platform of writers smarter and you're not repeating it. So within three months, we should have a much better idea of your preferences and all of our writers should. Um, We also have the account management layer where you can just talk directly to the account managers and more the thought leadership pieces, which we consider 2,000 words and above, which is kind of like a mini ebook, um, those have more direct relationship with the writers. But the rest of it is is the challenge. How do you do con- quality content at scale for every niche and do it right. in a consistent, easy to, uh, to manage fashion?
0: Yeah, yeah, that is a challenge. Well, also, I know like, you know, platforms like Upwork, right? The issue with those kind of marketplaces where there is direct contact. A lot of it just happens where people just get off the, you know, they'll pay for a little bit and then they get off the platform, right? So it's good you have some kind of control to to keep that within your platform. It is, um, and you also,
1: we also have to add enough value to people not to want to poach our writers because true. the uh, the SaaS platform itself of how to manage the content uh, at scale is also uh, a big part of the value. If it was just one writer at a time, man, Upwork really that's a big challenge.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, if I'm a if I'm a SaaS Marketer or, or SaaS founder, I'm looking to allocate my marketing budget. Um, why and how should I consider investing my marketing budget on written content or, or my blog to be as effective as, possible, effective as possible from an ROI perspective? How do you suggest uh, you know speak when you speak to your clients around that? So, it's just a couple of things. So, one is it really depends
1: on your long-term goal. If you plan on being in business for a really long time and you're in it for the long haul, you have to invest in content. It's the most cost-effective way to stay in business and get ahead of your competition and to give you a competitive advantage. There the classic line is advertising is uh, ethereal and content is forever. And so you're big and you're building yourself a moat. So if you are VC funded and you have six months to prove that you have a sales funnel, don't even think about using, like creating content. Uh, if you plan on running a co- company for the long haul, it's just content is king. Everybody says it for a reason. It works. It's what built uh, our company, Verblio. We do almost no outbound reach whatsoever and we bring in 1,200 new clients every year from our organic traffic. Um, so it's great. Then you get to focus on your product and your other things because you're not investing so much in your your acquisition costs. Um, If you're looking to make your content as cost-effective as possible from day one and you know you want to do it, I think the thought is expand your vision of what content is. This is not just an SEO channel. Um, One of uh, my recent guests on my podcast is uh, Andy Crestadina, who's wrote the book on content marketing and it is is a highly sought after speaker. Uh, And he talks about zero waste marketing all the time, which is like, Mm -hmm. think of every piece of content, not as a one-off investment, where you're trying to score for the SEO um, keywords or it's worthless. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like, how do you keep building up an arsenal and it just keeps getting bigger? Uh, it has so many other purposes. Uh, you can turn it into your sales collateral. You can put it into your onboarding materials. Uh, you can repurpose it as video. Uh, everything that you have, re- so the concept of zero waste marketing is, hey, we record this podcast. Let's go turn this into 10 blogs. And then let's, every time I record a podcast, I'm going to take those 10 blogs. And by the time I get to 50, I can turn that into an ebook and I can put videos on top of every one of them. And it should work in both directions. Um, And so there's a multi-use aspect of it. And then the other piece of it is how do you, uh, another way to get your content to work more, uh, more effectively quickly is to make more collaborative content. This is what Andy was talking about as well, which is, Talk to your target clients, get them interviewed, have them be quotes and links to their sites in your, in your material immediately. I think Mm -hmm. too many people think of their content as a solo activity. You sit down with a blank cursor and all of a sudden genius flows through you and your (laughs) voice like goes to your clients and it resonates and everyone reads it. Um, one of, uh, one of the quotes that I'm most attracted to is that copy isn't, uh, it isn't written, it's assembled, which is that there are so many pieces of it. You do your market research, you do your keyword research, then our journalists come in and they help write the story and pull it all together in a coherent fashion. And I think it's really important to think of that. So you bring in data, if you have unique access to data and you put it in there or unique sources that you can link to, there's a lot of ways to bring it to life, uh, much more quickly. Um, Mm. And then I think the other challenge. Or so if you're looking to get a lot more out of your content, a lot more quickly, it's repurpose and co- and collaborate on what you're doing um, as you're putting it through.
0: Got it. And then in terms of the the budget itself, uh, what what do you suggest as like a minimum for you know how often you should be posting? You, you suggest once a week as a minimum, and you know how many words are, are you looking to to get some you know real results? So are we still okay with doing 500 words, or do you want to do at least 2,000? Uh, so Got it. I love that. So, uh, so I will, I will honestly say that
1: my work is I, we have a, we write for a thousand different clients every month and two thirds of them are top marketing agencies who know what works effectively. So what I can report back to you on the data side is what mm-hmm. those best top marketers do much better than what I do myself. Even um, better, yeah, I think it's better. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Uh, so one of the most interesting data points in my business over the last three years has been the transformation from very short form blogs, like 300 to 500 words. For those of you who don't speak word length, think five paragraphs, eight paragraphs, something short and quick, uh, to over a thousand words, which is like mid, mid-length. mid um, And so before 2016, less than 6% of all of Verbalio's content was based on uh, word length of over a thousand. Uh, at this point, four years later, it's over 70% of our content is 1,000 words or more. Mm. And so you should take that as a sign as the best marketers out there think that 1,000 words plus is the right place to be writing to really resonate. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the second part of your question is, like, should you be writing 2,000? I think 1,000 should be like your standard. 1,000 to 1,500 should be your standard post. Uh, Google's recognizing it more. We're writing much more for a human audience as opposed to scores. And it can also be repurposed because you've said enough that you can use it for other ways. And a 300-word post, where are you going to repurpose that? Um, sure. And then I think you need to think about the concept of pillar content, which so many content marketers have have, uh, propagated over the years, especially HubSpot is the most vocal of it, which is some of your pieces need to be those, those eBooks or like, this is like your manifesto as a company. This is what you stand for as a tech startup. Um, but most of it shouldn't be the mm. vast majority of content. And this is something I really want to express to your audience. Cause I think so many entrepreneurs, especially in the SaaS startup space, think of my content is it has to be pure thought leadership all the time. It has to be my genius coming through versus a lot of this is just fundamental marketing. Like your paid marketing has to keep going. Your, your ad campaigns go every single month and you need to be filling out your collateral of content, um, I know multiple guests of yours have referenced the fact that most B2B client or prospects will look at your site 30 times or something of that nature before finally converting. You need Mm -hmm. to have all of that content. And that content is blogs that are a thousand words, 1500 words that answer their questions proactively in a way that's compelling to your audience. And I think that's, that's what Verblio is trying to do. And that's our brand promise.
0: Cool. So data saying, you know, 5,000 to 1,500 words is what you should be aiming for. And what is the data saying for how often are, are people putting uh, are publishing articles? Once a week, once a month? So most of our clients, like they're, so we have
1: two, all right, we have three types of clients. We have our keep the lights on clients, which is once a week. And mm-hmm. just basically, you should at least be having four. If this is not your core strategy of how you want to build your company, just like get noticed, answer your questions, build it slowly. Okay. Our, our standard client is doing about six to ten um, pieces a month. Okay. Uh, so about double what we're talking about. And then I think the most interesting trend in content that I think is very powerful and that more marketers need to think about is what you could do if you have a partner with like us, the way that we're talking about, kind of like you could create a custom program, which is how do you create a competitive moat for yourself? Could you just infuse the uh, your site and the internet with so much high quality content that your competitors can't catch up? Everyone's mm-hmm. always going to find you first. So we have, uh, we have one client that's doing 1200 unique articles with us every single month. Uh, we have another that's doing four hundred legal pieces, uh, legal wow. pieces of content, all reviewed by JDs. And as marketers, there's nothing better. Like when you, like, when you create a SaaS platform and somebody comes to you and tells you what you could do even better to help them with, that is like. That's the best moment in business. I created something that's so valuable and someone else told me what to do. Uh, And I would love more marketers to come out there and say, wow, if you just had uh, a team of 100 uh, former engineers who are writing or just like 10 engineering editors who could tell me if this is up to code with 100 uh, kind of tech literate journalists behind them. I would like to produce 200 pieces a month, all with video, put it out there. I want no one to see anyone except for me on every single Google search.
0: All right, wow. That's 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 good to hear. I mean, glad to have some some of those big clients. And then you speak about video, um, you know, comparing that to written content. So video takes a lot of time for and time and effort to produce. Right. You've got a setup, up stage lighting, uh, ex- more expensive equipment versus, you know, writing. How have you seen uh, the results, you know, when comparing to use video marketing right now um, and how should we look at that when we're focusing on both channels or should we just focus on just writing for content marketing?
1: So the short answer is that goes back to my multi-purpose. You should be doing both. You should be turning your video into written and you should be turning your written to video. And once you've already made one, man, you've just saved yourself a ton of time in your second piece and you've doubled the amount of content. Uh, we, so verbally acquired a, a video company two years ago called Automagical. And with the idea of how do you take video into the content marketing space? So the problem is, Brian Halligan CEO of HubSpot said in 2016 in a very famous speech that 50% of your video of your content should be video right now. Uh, and that was in 2016 and HubSpot didn't even offer a video product at all at that time. I think, Mm -hmm. um, Please don't correct me on that. I'm um, pretty sure that they weren't very big in in, in video at the time. So it was wasn't even self serving. This was a this is where the market's going, and I think since then marketers have been trying to figure out how do you find good enough quality in the same way that you find good enough written quality on your blogs and your FAQ. People feel much more strongly about video quality. Like the the CEO is much more likely to watch the 30 second video than she is look at the you know the 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 pillar piece ebook and be like, Oh my God, are we writing another one of these? Um, and so it's much more sensitive. And so what we've been working on, I think we're getting closer to is figuring out what's the right level of quality. So our starting price for a video on top of a blog, I think is around $70, uh, with the idea of, if you put it into, um, our platform, which spits out kind of like a draft video by, by kind of walking through what are the different phases and I can talk more about that. um, you still need a human editor to make it work for people so that we've saved ourselves about half the time and made it more effective. And we think that if you start including a video like that, that really hits the right level of quality it's on your, it's on brand, but it's not overly produced, you can do it affordably and at scale. Uh, then if we do it right, you can also use it for social promotion, which is the other crux of content marketing. You created all this great market, who the heck is actually going to read or watch it?
0: Exactly. Yeah, that's kind of what we think here, right? For example, this this podcast video, we have it on video, um, and then we're just going to chop it up and use it for for other places as well, right? People want to see that. Um, for like, say, small business owners, I feel maybe they don't have as much of like uh, the the knowledge and expertise as, so, like, a marketing agency. What are some of the most common mistakes you you see them making in their content marketing strategy? Not using an agency. Hmm.
1: So. I think every SMB needs to figure out what you do well and where you have the highest amount of value. And if you haven't hired strategically to have that person on your team who has that Mm -hmm. agencies exist for a reason. And the word agency is really interesting because it basically means marketing consultant of somebody who has seen a pattern in a marketing channel or trend that they have a lot more cycles on than you do that you can rent for a cost effective price. And they can bring you that value very quickly versus you learning your own mistakes. We Mm -hmm. We as tech startups, we have so many opportunities to make mistakes in so many different areas. And the more expertise that we can leverage to bring us that expertise without having to learn more more mistakes along the way, the better off we'll be. Mm. Um, so I think Let me just take a step back on the concept of marketing trends. So every marketing trend has its arc, right? First, first, it comes out. Nobody really, there's a unique market opportunity because nobody knows how to use it. LinkedIn exists now. Facebook exists now. How are we going to take advantage of it? Then everybody in large companies says there's no reason to use this because you can't measure it with ROI. And then, so all the big companies avoid it, which gives any small nimble company the opportunity to kick their butts. Um, Mm -hmm. because you get it quicker than they do. And it all starts out with some nimble marketer inside of a company figuring it out. Once they figure it out once they become a marketing consultant and takes it to the market. And then they start to get a lot more reps on doing this marketing trend until you start to lose that arbitrage play, which luckily CEO hasn't done, but the game does keep changing. So I would Mm -hmm. say take the few marketing dollars that you have, put it towards an agency to make sure that you're doing it right. Um, there's that concept that Rand Fishkin talks about of the T-shaped marketer, where there are so many thousands of things you need to know in order to be a marketer. And in, in t- today, I got a, you know, I got a marketing degree from Kellogg 20 years ago. Um, almost none of that is applicable to any existing channel right now. Not <laughs> to mention self promotion involved. Like nobody taught you you had to like self promote all the time to help your company. That would be like, you know, forbidden back then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so. Is a smaller company you get a choice of being really good at one or two things and then just mm-hmm. having somebody balance out how to fill in all the buckets uh and you should have agencies and outside people help you with those because we only get so many choices of people to hire
0: right you focus on you know doing the work of what you're good at let the marketers you know who are in the day-to-day know what the trends are happening what's going to actually work um you know speak, speaking of trends um, you know kind of the future trends we've talked to in previous sas district episodes with many other expert marketers and content creators such as uh, the chapman brothers from social chaps orin from curve uh you just mentioned you know ran fishkin of sparktoro and and neil patel and they all provide like a slightly different uh, outlook in the current environment and when it comes to content marketing um what they've seen in 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 mark marketing in in this covid era some budgets have been cut back from clients and others have, have been increased with you know a lot being more aggressive in their content marketing strategies um what kind of opportunities do you think that situation brings for SaaS startups and why do you describe this i think you mentioned as the new golden era for for content I do, uh, and I describe it that way for a reason. First of all, that's quite the all-star list of, uh, of content uh,
1: gurus in the universe, and I'm happy to even be on a similar list with them. Um, I will not pretend to know nearly as much as they do. Once again, I profess to telling you what my content marketers are doing in our in our in our bubble. Um, so, watching them in action, which I think is a really nice view. Um, mm-hmm. So a couple of things are happening. The reason I call this is um, the the post that I, you're referring to. I think I wrote is uh, content was king, and then it got promoted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when COVID happened, I'm trying to figure out. Like now we're six months into this crisis, so much of this stuff was like new talking points like three months yeah. ago. And I, like <laughs> now like these might even be cliche at this point. So. Uh, two things happened. One is, um, everybody paused for a month, 20% of our business just went on pause and it was just like, I'm going to figure everything out. Uh, when it came back, it was a really different mix. And Mm -hmm. so the mix that came back is this won't surprise you too much. Uh, all, the, the biggest hit was just SMBs. We lost about 20% of our SMBs and they were immediately replaced by larger mid-sized clients. Mm-hmm. And so the trends that we see is if you can't afford it, if content is a nice to have because you're worried about the existence of your business, uh, content is not going to be a great play for you. But if you're in it for the long haul, everyone's doubling down on um, on content. So the rise of large clients was really shocking. And all of that, like our portfolio mix shifted so drastically in such a short period of time. I've never seen a mix like that uh, change so quickly in my business career. So within two months, we went from like, Thirty uh, percent SMBs, seventy percent uh, mid-sized businesses and agencies to like eighty percent, eighty-five percent and just like the flash of an eye. And so, one of it is uh, one thing is I think that the companies that know they're in it for the long haul know that you can build up this content now. It's a great investment for the long term. Um, this. Uh, And the reason for that is that your audience is going to come back to you when they're ready, right? And so outbound sales is really challenging in the fact that you are trying to get them when it's right for you. Mm -hmm. Uh, Content marketing is great. Like um, on the feel good about yourself marketing side, which is like you're writing stuff that you want people to find value in when they're ready for it. And that Mm -hmm. kind of goes to my second side of the story. So one is the shift towards larger clients. And the other shift was uh, so many channels went away. Like we're on a podcast. We're not at a, we're not a conference right now. Help uh, mm-hmm. out sales is pretty, pretty dead. Uh, new TV is pretty, there, you know, no new television was going on for like four months. There's very little out there that you should be doing. So take advantage of one of the most co- cost effective channels that used to be amazing. Uh, and now it's not just amazing, but it's also one of your only options.
0: Makes sense. And specifically for SaaS founders, is there any uh, specific channels or, or strategies that you recommend to them to, to start really focusing on and, you know, applying that's going to be around for, for at least the, the short, long term? So I think it's about, I think it's a, it goes back to this multi-purpose,
1: uh, multi-purpose. So what I found is I created more content in the first three months of this crisis than I had in like the previous three years. I'm mm-hmm. I, I run a content creation company. Um <laughs> And so every year creating my own content is top five of my priorities for the for the for the year. And every given day, it's somewhere around twenty to thirty for what I should be doing that day. So how do you actually create the time to do it? And what I found um in this period was was two things. One is uh I express my ideas much better verbally than I do on paper. And so I started my own podcast and I started talking to a lot more top folks like yourself as far as like, this is going to be where my content starts. It's going to start in my most comfortable channel. So my advice to to startups and tech gurus is go out and find the channel where you can express yourself the easiest. If you're a writer, great that's fantastic. I'm I'm not. And so mm. what I like to do is I record my podcast and then I have my Verblio writer who listens to it and structures it and then gives me a draft. And that draft is somewhere between 50% to 70% of the way where I want it to be. Part of it has my voice. She knows what I'm looking for. But at the same time, like it's never going to be me. I want it to sound like me and getting a 70% draft has a huge amount of value to me. Like I will mm. get it done. Sitting in front of a blank cursor is my personal nightmare. Um, So think about what's your easiest way to get your thoughts expressed. um, And then just start, uh, uh, and then turn those into multi-purpose content. If you do video well, turn that into a podcast afterwards and written, uh, and it can always go in the reverse.
0: Yeah, I think actually that's probably brilliant advice to to anybody looking to get. You know, don't start with, you know, don't chase the shiny objects of what people are telling you to do. Do what you actually enjoy. Um, I actually, yeah, like I'm probably very similar to you. I much prefer to, you know, have this conversation I'm actually enjoying this, um, uh, versus having to, yeah, like force myself, it's like pulling teeth when you're like trying to write it and like force it and, you know, then structure it and then, you know, re- revise it. I'm like, ah, let me just get this out there. And then somebody else can, you know, clean it up a little bit. And, uh, I feel like that they get more value for myself and I think hopefully other people as well. Yeah. Cool. Um, So thank you so much, uh, Steve, for being here. You know, just last question. How how can our audience get in touch with you? uh, Learn more about maybe leveraging Verbilio and maybe uh, in in their content marketing strategy. Oh, good. Thank you. Uh, So we can be found
1: at www.verbilio.com. Verbilio is spelled verb, V-E-R-B-L-I-O.com for uh, for information about us. You can also follow me on LinkedIn or our podcast. So my podcast is The Verbilio Show. Uh, on all major platforms Uh, or you can follow me on LinkedIn and get the updates as they come out once a week Um, and I would appreciate if you did that thank you
0: we'll we'll definitely do that awesome thank you so much Steve really appreciate it and uh, enjoyed our conversation thanks for having me cheers thank you all for joining us on today's episode don't forget to like subscribe and leave a comment on iTunes or Spotify if you'd like to learn more about entrepreneurship make sure to check out our School of Startups videos on YouTube as well Until then, see you guys on the next episode.